Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. I'm Beth Mullins, along with Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Kayla Bro, and Jenny Dalton-Hill. And on behalf of our entire ESPN softball family, we send our thoughts and prayers to the JMU softball family. Following the death last week of Lauren Burnett, which has been classified by the medical examiner as a suicide. JMU announced on Monday the cancellation of the rest of their softball season. And this was the release from James Madison head coach Lauren Laporte. It was an extremely difficult decision and one that was not made lightly. We are so grateful for the support of our fans all season and for the love from the softball community during the past week. We will use this time to continue healing and to honor Lauren's memory while finishing the academic semester strong. Support for JMU softball and thoughts about Lauren have been prevalent around the game in recent days with the purple of JMU and the purple of suicide prevention. And an issue and a story that has affected all of us in our softball community. Some of the visuals from around the college game. Many teams have taken some time away from the game this week to spend time together and even to spend some time with healthcare professionals from their community, including Oklahoma and Patty Gasso. This was from her press conference this week. It is extremely heartbreaking and alarming to see what's going on throughout the country. And it's just screaming for help. I think these student athletes are pushed and pressed and they have a lot of plates that are spinning and they're trying to balance everything. And it can be absolutely overwhelming. We have a wonderful pros office that does a great job and actually is meeting with us today. Um, because I know when you see student athletes, male or female, or any young person take their own life, it, it just hits you to the core. But when it is so relatable to, to your sport, it's even deeper than that. And I had an emotional Jocelyn Allo call me this morning and just wanting to talk. And that's kind of what we need to do is, and I'm not the expert in this area, and that's why I asked our pros office to come in and lead us through conversations and allow our players to talk and give them a safe space to express themselves. And it's funny because athletics is such a, it's always been like, be tough, don't be a wussy and, you know, all of that. And if I must, 100% must have a safe open space for athletes to speak and be truthful because the problems are when they're hiding things. You know, as our softball community is facing this really tragic event, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me is, you know, we're a softball family and we come together when things are tough, when we face adversity, when, you know, something like this affects a team, a family member. And it's just really great to see um, how this community has responded and how they've paid their respects. They're holding each other. They're looking towards each other for help and support. And that's what it's all about is uh, this softball community really just steps up um, when, things, when things are really tough. And when you hear coaches like Patty Gasso come and speak about, you know, the importance of really leaning one another. I think that's such a powerful thing to see. And, and it's really, really important right now that this softball community comes together. 
real important to talk about it and, and to listen to, to what student athletes and, and what your friends and family members are talking about. Research by the NCAA and healthcare professionals does show um, that women experience higher rates of depression and anxiety and also that the pandemic has increased mental health concerns for student athletes around um, the softball community and around every sport. We had a chance to talk to a lot of student athletes in the preseason about a lot of the different pressures that they face on a daily basis. People put off mental health. You have no idea what one human is going through and what one thing that you could say to someone could affect the rest of their life. I think a good portion of student athletes in particular struggle with mental health. As an athlete, I feel like there's a stigma around getting help. You're made to put on this face as if you're a D1 athlete and everything's great, but it's tough. There's a lot of expectation when you arrive to college, and I think everyone knows that. Not living up to those expectations is something that can absolutely defeat you. I have both types of ADHD, so like one thing that comes with that is we often get obsessed almost with certain things. I became obsessed with this idea of trying to be perfect, and with that was my ball stopped moving. I stopped throwing as hard as I used to. Like I almost like forgot how to play softball altogether. It was like my whole life, my only image, and the only thing that I knew about myself was softball. So for me to lose that aspect of my life, it was like I felt like I lost my whole identity. 2021 was a really tough year for me. I had maybe struggled a little bit before, but I really struggled, especially in this like last year and a half. I still don't feel like we're at the point where an athlete maybe feels completely comfortable like prioritizing their mental health. The first two years, I really lost like who I was as a person. Like I attached my performance with softball so much to who I was as a person. You know, I felt bad for feeling bad. Why if I have everything at my fingertips, why am I struggling? Everyone wants to come sign the cast when you have a broken leg, but no one wants to understand what's going on in your head when you're struggling mentally. What's scary is that like no one ever knows what you're feeling. Me and my sister, we were both getting bullied. My younger sister, very small, unlike me, and we thought she was going to be the one to be attacked. And so when it happened to me, no one could believe it. I got diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and PTSD after it. There's a stigma around female athletes in particular and like how we should look. There were so many people in my life that told me I wasn't or I didn't have the right body type to succeed in my sport. When people tell you that you, you don't or you can't, um, obviously that's gonna get to you. Last season particularly, I struggled a lot with my mental health. You know, my performance on the field didn't help that and it kind of helped me spiral in a way. I struggle with depression daily. I struggle with anxiety daily. But it is something that the people around me push me to be better. They push me to believe in myself, love myself. Having anxiety, having depression doesn't make you weaker as an athlete. It doesn't at all. So don't be afraid to go out and get help. It would have gone a lot differently for me if it didn't take me three years to realize that it was okay to go talk to someone. It's okay to ask for help, but asking for help is not weakness. You're never alone, and I think just really realizing that is super empowering because we always have those moments where we don't want to ask for help, we don't want to make someone think less of us or make people think that we're weaker because of that. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to like feel things that you don't want to feel. What you do feel, like it doesn't make you crazy or weird. Don't bottle it up and, you know, think you have to fight alone like you don't. Your biggest enemy can be yourself. So when you look in the mirror and you tell yourself, like, you're amazing, go be amazing, you're going to convince yourself to do that. Celebrate the little wins, even if they don't seem like 
monumental. You are there for a reason, even if it doesn't feel that way in that moment. There are people out there that love me, my teammates, my coaches, my friends and family. They love me not because of softball, they love me because of who I am. Man, so powerful hearing all those athletes talk about their individual experiences and it's really moving because um, it's it just says a lot about all those athletes to come out and speak about everything that they've been through to be able to share it with us, to be able to affect maybe possibly their teammates who are going through the same thing or uh, a young player who might be feeling things that they talked about in their in, in their interviews. And what I thought was so cool um, and, and even more impactful about that video of seeing all their faces that they were each going through something different. Um, and I think that the bottom line is that who you are as a softball player is different than who you are outside of softball and being able to separate both of those things and find an identity outside of your sport. Um, quickly speaking of just my own experience and one that they didn't mention uh, within the video is just going through an injury and having the sport taken away from you and having to look at a game in a different way, look at yourself in a different way and finding out truly like I can make it without softball and I am a different person or not a different person, but I can be my own person without this sport and have a different identity. So just individually speaking for myself, that was something that I went through my senior year at a whenever I got injured um, and had a different role in the team. And I know that I couldn't have done it without support of my parents um, along the way, all growing up as a player um, and youth, just being able to, for them to tell me, hey, we love you outside of softball. We're here for you if you don't play softball, if you choose to quit, whatever happens, um, we have you. And so just having teammates and coaches have your back and genuinely checking in with each other is just so important. And, and, and powerful stories, Amanda, about overcoming adversity uh, in all kinds of, of different ways. And just a reminder, when you listen to these student-athletes, you know, you're not a burden. You're, it's not going to be better without you. We want you around. Coaches, teammates, friends, family, they do care, and they want to help. Mike Candrea is, is a guest on the program today. We'll hear more from Coach Candrea with Jess Mendoza a little bit later on. But he did speak about this issue and the importance of the relationship with your team and your teammates. And we've got a little clip of this, and then we'll also hear from one of his former players who's on the show with us today, Jenny. You know, I've always wanted people to know that I cared about them. And, and the one, the, the aha moment I got was, you know what? Here I am trying to coach this athlete. And there's so many moving pieces to it. You know, the mental, the physical, the emotional part. I said, but, but the one thing I realized is that if I can coach the person first, you know, then, and, and they understand themselves and I understand them better, then I can help them be a better athlete. And I think sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we, we kind of think, you know, here's Jess Mendoza, the softball player. Well, no, but Jess Mendoza also is a person, you know, and if you don't understand what makes her tick, you don't, you don't, you're not aware of when things are, when she's struggling with herself, it's awfully hard to coach. You know, no matter if you go 0 for 10, you know, everything's going to be all right. And I think just sometimes talking through some of this stuff with kids um, takes a little bit of a load off their mind because who knows what other people are presenting to them. And Coach Candrea truly practiced what he preaches. He always believed in person over player. 
He got to know us all individually. Each of us came with a unique set of softball skills, but we all came with unique backgrounds as well. And he got to know what made us tick. His door was always open and he gave us an opportunity to come in and share things that were causing us to perhaps struggle on the field, but also individually and personally as well. I know I had a ton of success during my freshman and sophomore seasons. I was an All-American. I was an academic All-American. We had won two national championships. And then my junior year, we lost to UCLA in the finals. And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know how to translate that into the following season. There were only five, there were five first-team All-Americans on our team in 1995. Going into 1996, I was the only All-American left on that team. Our assistant coach had left, and I felt lost. That fall, Coach Candrea recognized that I wasn't doing as well as I needed to mentally. And he approached me and told me that I needed to take some time off. I attended all of the team functions, whether it was conditioning or weightlifting. But when it came to individual workouts, he gave me time, time to figure out how to lead. And because of that, and because of that time off, it showed me that he truly was more invested in me as a person. Because as he filled me as a person, I was able to give back as a player. I was able to come back in the spring. We won another national championship. I was the national player of the year, and it all came down to my coach knowing me individually and personally. If any of you are out there struggling, know that you are valued, know that you are appreciated, know that you are needed, and know that you are loved. The world is a much better place because you're in it. Yeah, Jenny, I, I think that's so powerful. And I, I think the story resonates with every level of athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a high school athlete, collegiate athlete, an Olympic athlete. We saw this last summer in Tokyo, the number of athletes that struggle at every different level. What's most important is that you realize your value, how loved you are by your teammates, by your family, and that this too shall pass when you get the help, you get people, you talk and you, you let people in. It's just so much different when you're shutting the door and keeping people away. That's never healthy on any environment. So just realize that there are so many people out there that want to be a part of your life to reach out and, and just realize that a lot of us have been through it and, and you will make it through it with the help of others and, and that you are important and valued. Mm -hmm. And the conversation will continue with reminders. Be kind, be helpful, be aware to changes in someone's behavior, to their appearance, to changes in their demeanor. Uh, and if you are hurting, there are resources available around college athletics to help you out. A few of those here run by families that have experience dealing with this very issue and have everything you might possibly need, including an ear to listen to, someone to talk to. Helinski's Hope, the defensive line, and the suicide prevention lifeline, always available at 800-273-TALK. Oh, it's the Thursday night throwdown. It's the beginning of Bedlam. We will have all three games for you on the ESPN networks. This one's so big. They decided to move it to ESPN for Thursday night in primetime to get us started. What a great way to lead into mayhem, by the way. It is finally NCAA tournament month around college softball. 
And we've got all three of the Bedlam matchups for you. Beth Mullins, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Caleb Bro. Here's what else we've got on the lineup card. Wonderful conversation coming up. Jessica Mendoza sat down with Coach Mike Candrea. We will also take a look at the other big series this weekend and a terrific feature for you on Softball Moms. But, Smitty, we just had a chance to watch Oklahoma State playing at Florida State. They lost a pair of one-run games, and now they will try and go into Norman, Oklahoma, where they have not won since the last century, Smitty. <laughs> last century. Uh, yes, because Oklahoma has been very good as of late and is outstanding this year. So this is just going to be bedlam, right? It's going to be a whole lot of uh, – interesting stuff going on a whole lot of great softball and it really comes down to the fact that both of these teams right now 14 and 1 at the top of the big 12 so this will definitely be the decision maker on who will be winning this big 12 state uh, big 12 conference and it comes down to the pitching for oklahoma state excuse me for oklahoma as well as their hitting and jordy ball has really led this oklahoma team they're she is 20 and one on the year as a freshman. She has come in lights out 191 strikeouts on the year. She's explosive. She has a great rise ball and she is confident in the circle. The way that she just works the game. She controls at bats a rise ball at the top of the zone, but also has a really good off speed. So ability to mix speeds for this freshman has just been outstanding. And then also when you have an offense that puts a lot of runs up on the board, Jocelyn Allo has been the leader for Oklahoma really doing a great job with her bat leading the country with home runs and when you look at this Oklahoma club they do it all they are number one in the NCAA in batting average home runs scoring slugging percentage Jocelyn Allo leads this team with 23 home runs she is the queen of the long ball and can get it done to every field. But, you know, this is a team that has six players with 10-plus home runs, six players with a 400-plus batting average, just really, really strong. The one thing I do find interesting, though, Amanda, is that this Oklahoma club, only about 12% of their at-bats have been against left-handed pitching, and we know that Kelly Maxwell, the ace of the Oklahoma State staff, will be going up against Oklahoma this weekend. So funny that you said that. In prepping for this show, I was wondering how many left-handed pitchers that Oklahoma had faced uh, so far this season. So that says a lot. And I think that they're going to have their hands full with Kelly Maxwell because she has stepped up as the ace of this staff. Remember, it was last year that Carrie Everly pitched game one against Oklahoma and got the win, but that was in Stillwater. But Carrie Everly is not there anymore, and Kelly Maxwell has stepped up into the ace role. I feel like she might throw a little bit more this weekend. And the fact that Miranda Ellis is questionable in the circle, she was out last weekend, we saw her hit. So she's a bit of a question mark to come into this series and if we'll see her in the circle. But it would be huge for OSU because of the fact that she's had experience against Oklahoma when she was at Texas. Morgan Day has thrown well for them. I mean, Oklahoma State truly top to bottom has one of the best pitching staffs in the country. But when I look to how Oklahoma State can beat Oklahoma, I think of three big keys, and this is what Texas did. One, no free passes. Two, you got to play sharp D, no errors in that game that Texas won. They didn't have any errors. And three, you have to capitalize on scoring opportunities. And when they give you outs on, on when you're on defense, you have to be able to take those outs. Oh, it's going to be electric in Norman, starting with our Thursday night throwdown, 8 Eastern on ESPN, primetime softball for you uh, from Norman, Oklahoma. Time now to go coast to coast and uh, into the heartland a little bit. Uh, Caleb Bro and Jenny Dalton-Hill, huge matchup going on in the desert 
Arizona State and those big boppers, a lot of home run hitters, uh, bro, taking on that terrific UCLA pitching staff. Yeah, Beth, this is just classic matchup between the best pitching team in the Pac-12 UCLA versus the best hitting team in Arizona State. And it's so interesting to look at this because you're really going to be able to see which of those aspects of the game is going to emerge as the best. And right now, I really like where Arizona State's at. I think they've been so good as of late, including a sweep against Cal this past weekend where they scored 31 runs against the Bears. They have a really, really talented offense that includes players like Yanni Acuna, the freshman Sidney Sanders had a couple home runs this weekend, and then of course Jasmine Rollin who sits in the middle of that lineup. They're just so strong offensively. They're hitting 334 as a team this year. They have 84 home runs and they're carrying over those statistics into Pac-12 play. So against the best competition, they're really stepping up and rising to the occasion. And on the other side, UCLA. So UCLA obviously has some incredible pitchers like Megan Faramo, like Holly Azevedo, but right now their offense just isn't producing. So we talked about 31 runs for Arizona State this past weekend. UCLA, as an offense on a whole, has scored 31 runs in their last four Pac-12 series. So offensively, they just haven't gotten the job done in Pac-12 play. The batting average is way down, and they have 100 strikeouts in conference play. So I got to look to this UCLA offense, and they have got to step up to support this pitching staff. What do you think, Jenny? I can't agree more. ASU right now just has the ball rolling, and I know Michelle says it all the time, but the ball flies in Arizona. The light air and the elevation <laughs> just allows that ball to fly. But ASU has 32 fewer strikeouts than UCLA. They have 30 more walks than UCLA. And they have 37 more home runs than UCLA. UCLA has three losses in Pac-12 play. And it just comes down to, can UCLA score enough runs off of an Arizona pitching staff that does give up some long balls, but they are going to have to do it without Aaliyah Jordan, who's been out most of the year, and then Kinsley Washington, who has seen some time out of the lineup as well. They have to come in swinging. The ball will fly in the desert, but they have to connect. Yeah, real important, too, uh, for those two teams, as well as Washington making a move in the Pac-12, talking about hosting regionals and super regionals as we inch closer to Selection Sunday on May 15th. With that in mind, how about a little blind resume, ladies? And who might be in position to grab one of those last seeds that would allow them to host a regional? So here are the RPIs, 15 through 18. One of those teams has the strongest schedule in the country, but they don't have the quality wins. One of those teams has the most quality wins, but right now they sit in the last RPI. So when the selection committee checks out all of this data, here we go with what team do you think should get maybe the 15 and 16 and grab those last two regional hosts as we unveil the teams right now in the latest RPI, oh boy, Texas, Oregon, UCF, and Georgia. Also for you to nosh on, Texas has the best win, Oklahoma, but also a bad loss to a team with a 100-plus RPI. UCF has head-to-head -head wins, ladies, against both Texas and Georgia, but the dogs are from the highest RPI conference 
with the most quality wins. So those are some of the things that the selection committee has to figure out. What do you guys say about those blind resumes? When I look at the SEC, any hands? I wonder any hands? Any takers? SEC... <laughs> well, when I look at the SEC, I just wonder, is the SEC down this year? Yes, Arkansas has come out strong and Alabama has been good this year. But we've seen so much parity through the bottom of the of the standings in the SEC. And I also really like UCF in that spot. UCF has come on strong. Lots of quality wins. And 14-1 and in conference play. Swept USF for the first time in program history. Coach Cindy Ball Malone said going into the season, she knew she had something special. And I think they're proving it down the stretch. Uh, Jenny, for me, uh, it's the zero wins for Oregon against top 25 opponents. I think if you're looking to eliminate one of those teams, Oregon's out for me. Well, it's interesting, too. You mentioned UCF. They have a massive series to decide the American Athletic Conference Championship at Wichita. UCF just had a Kono, Jenna Mancha and Camel Woodall. And, of course, Wichita State 109 home runs with five players in double-digit long balls. That is going to be a fabulous matchup coming up this weekend. If you're in the Wichita area, I don't know if there's tickets available, but you might want to consider checking that one out. Got a big weekend, Bedlam, and also out in the desert and in America's heartland as well. Still plenty more to come on the program. How about some history lessons with Coach Mike Candrea? Coach Candrea, welcome. Um, it's so good to see your Thank face. You. Um, so good to see you. What are you doing these days? What am I doing? Well, you know what? I'm enjoying retirement, uh, semi-retirement. I'm working still as an advisor for the athletic director here at, at the university and doing some coach mentoring and, um, you know, getting a chance to see some teams practice and play that I had never seen for 37 years that I've been here because I was in my own little submarine. Um, where have you seen, you know, the last obviously 50, but specifically 40 years of growth in female sports? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for Title IX and, and the opportunities that I got. And I remember when I first got into the game, it was, that was one of the reasons, you know, George Young, four-time Olympian, you know, our AD said, Mike, I, I, I want you to, coach the women's softball team I'm going George I'm a good baseball guy why do why do I want to coach women and he started talking about title nine and the and the influence it's going to have on opportunities for female athletes and I'm thinking to myself you know this is pretty neat you know I'm an assistant coach so I might as well take a chance to see what I can do and and you start seeing it I think softball has been so fun to watch the growth of of it and the um opportunities that our women have gotten because I look back at Omaha when it first the the, the um, World Series was there it was not much then I remember going to um, Sunnyvale California yeah. you know and I waited for the beer league to get off the field before we could play our World Series you know I'm thinking oh my god you know and then we get to Oklahoma City and, and we're going wow this could be special and you know there was one game on television final game and luckily we got to that point 
but then you watched it grow. I mean, it was like a, a lint ball that was being rolled and just collecting, you know, as we went. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've been able to live through all that. So that, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of, you know, is I've been able to actually live through the, the history of, of women's athletics in, in softball. How cool is that? And the CU. Yeah, I mean, I, you think about it. I remember being in high school, and you know what I don't remember is all I remember is cheerleaders and pom-pom girls. I did not remember any women that were athletes. Yeah, and I'm not that old. I mean, I'm talking in the 70s, 73, 72, 60s, late 60s. And to me, that's what's changed so much now is that, man, they're on a level playing field. Some of the best leaders I see in this world are, are female. Something that always stuck out from you, and there's so many things, but I remember you always talking about the difference of coaching men versus women. Yeah. And you said that men have to play good to feel good. Women have to feel good to play good. Can you kind of get into like how you would try to help players remember to enjoy the game, remember to feel good so that they could go and then perform? When I grew up, it was, yeah, it was go out and get a wiffle ball meet all the kids at the end of the street. We used to mow this pasture out in, in Louisiana and we made our own field. And man, that was where you spent your time, you know, from sunup to sundown until you had to go home, you had a glove and a ball in your hand and a bat in your hand, and, but it was just playing, you know, no one cared. Yeah. We kept score, but no one really cared at the end of the day, whether I went three for three or over three, you know, I was with my buddies. Yeah. And I think I, I think you have to try to bring that to the game sometimes is that this game is not life threatening. How do you work with players? How did you work with players on failure recovery? Well, I think it's something that you have to talk about and it's something that you you make part of the the package. I mean, if you're gonna play softball, then you're gonna have to learn how to handle failure because the best hitters get a hit three out of ten times. So 70% of the time you're gonna fail in this sport. So let's 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 make that a known and let's have a plan when failure happens so that you don't spiral down into feeling that it's all about you. You, you don't take the game personal. Communication begins from the bottom up, not the top down. You know, it's absolutely most important that you can make kids feel good that they can walk in your office and talk. When I think about postseasons coming up, a lot of coaches, a lot of players trying to navigate, you know, this time of year, elimination, it's totally different. How did that database of experience translate into the postseason? Don't change anything. I think too many times people want to do more, you know, when they get into those situations. And, and I learned from the Olympic Games, it's, it's just the, the stress that's put upon athletes by friends and family that you don't have to worry about, you know, you get to the world series, everyone wants to go, you know, and everyone wants a piece of you. And then you're doing things that you're not quite used to doing. So trying to keep your normal routine, I think is, is huge. But I think at the end of the day, it's trust. When I got into softball and I started coaching the female athlete, the one thing I saw was this mound of clay that was absolutely um, untouched. There was no habits. There were no bad habits. There were no expectations. There were just sponges. They you know, if you taught them something that made them a little bit better, boy, they got 
super excited. They got super motivated. You know, they got confidence. And um, that was the fun part about it. You know, I, I, I think the sky's the limit. I think we're just beginning to where we can be. And um, I, now that I, now I see it kind of coming into college sports. I mean, I think they're talking now about, you know, some of the inequities we've had, you know, crazy stuff. It's going to get corrected very quickly. Why? Because I think there's the power is in the female right now, you know, and, and, and that they just need an opportunity. Yep. And I, I, I look at, you know, our coaches right now, I'm going, that's all they needed. Thank you for being a part of that change because you were, and there have been thousands of women that have been affected, whether it was the women you coached, the daughters that they had clearly now going on for more sports, it just keeps paying forward. So we are grateful and grateful, grateful. It's an honor. And and it's um, having moments like this with people like you that really make me appreciate my, my opportunities that I've gotten um, in this game. Coach Candrea has created so many ripples throughout our sport and how grateful I am for George Young convincing him to coach women and coach (laughs) softball. That, to me, is the pivotal point in this whole story because the game is not the same without Coach Candrea. He realized the difference between men and women. He realized that we truly were willing to accept and just eat up all of the teaching and the coaching that he was willing to give. And I always knew that his door was open. He would come to us or he would allow us to walk in that door. And good thing there was Kleenex on the table because I think there were more tears shed in that office than anywhere else on campus. But navigating the postseason is probably where Coach Candrea shined, being able to set up routines. And he took those routines, I'll let you in on a little secret, to the extreme, to the point that he would fill out the lineup card with the same pen. He would take us to eat at the same places. But those routines created patterns of excellence, and that pattern of excellence translated directly into national championships. He found a way to help the butterflies that were all over the place and a mess fly in formation and really get us to be on track. He always taught, he always coached, and he took every opportunity to make us better leaders. His retirement celebration was attended by over 400 people, and I think that number would have been triple had it not happened right at the beginning of softball season. But the game of softball definitely would not be the same without Coach Candrea and Title IX. Well, speaking of opportunities, as that is a buzzword that Coach Candrea and we all talk about over and over again with the growth of our sport and more opportunities coming our way. So as we move to the sixth spot in the lineup card, we're going to talk about Athletes Unlimited. And big news was revealed because all of the games in the Athlete Unlimited season on June 13th when it starts will be on the ESPN networks. Now, Athletes Unlimited is a really unique pro league that softball players play in because it keeps... um, a leaderboard with points and you get points as an individual and from a team. And so the leaderboard changes all throughout every game. You get points um, per inning or per individual achievement, like hitting a home run, getting strikeouts. So it's really unique. And I feel like it has a way of really pulling people in. This is going to be the third season for Athletes Unlimited. They started in 2020 without any fans. Um, and previous winners are Kat Osterman and Alicia Ocasio. So today is a big day because they had their draft and we have the draft picks here to 
to tell all of you guys about who are current college softball players that will be playing in this league this summer. So these are some big names, Michelle. You have Alo, Healy Rochard, Hannah Adams, Maggie Ballant from San Diego State, Mary Iacopo. I feel like, Michelle, this is a really good mix of athletes that we see on the field through the Women's College World Series. Yeah, absolutely, Amanda. I love the fact there are five pitchers uh, in this draft picks that are going to be coming out. It'll be interesting to see them go up uh, against each other head to head. And, and as you mentioned, I love the concept that the wins are what matters. Those are the most heavily weighted. So winning innings, winning games. Um, and that's why two of the, uh, the last two winners being pitchers in the circle uh, has been important. But I, I think it's an outstanding opportunity for these athletes who are collegiate athletes to now be drafted, right? They're, they're wanted at the professional level. And I, I think there's nothing better than that. I played 16 years professionally in Japan. And I remember signing my first contract to play professional. I thought, wow, this is outstanding. I get to play the sport I love and actually get paid for it. <laughs> so seeing these young ladies have the opportunity to play, um, to be seen on television this summer, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. And of course, there's also returners that are going to be coming back uh, that love the opportunity to play in Athletes Unlimited um, as well as play for Team USA. So the fact that we're going to see the Aaliyah Andrews, the Cis Bates, right? One of the best shortstops ever. Rachel Garcia, mm -hmm. uh, Amanda Lorenz, uh, you know, Haley McClinney. So I, I just love the fact that all these big star athletes are going to be seen and continue to play professional sports because that's really the next level of our game beyond this great collegiate level that we have here in the United States. Yeah. AUX will be in San Diego June 11th to June 25th, and then the softball championship season will be in Chicago starting July 29th and running through the month of August. Really thrilled to be partnered up with them, and you can catch the action on the ESPN networks and your ESPN Plus, so make sure you have that ready to go this spring. Still more to come on the program. Of course, we're going to shag some stats. we got news and notes from around the softball world. And we're going to talk, get the Kleenex out for a little softball mom segment coming up. The biggest challenge is about being a mom and a coach is just being able to be present in both of those areas, I think. And, you know, when I'm at the softball field, I'm the best coach that I can be. And then when I get home, no matter what happened at the field, it's time to be a mom. I'm so thankful that I get to be a mom and I get to work at the same time. You know, it's the first time in my life that I realized that something was more important than softball was when I had my kids. I didn't get that when I was younger because I thought it was all about the game and how much I had, you know, it was just, it was what I loved. And then I had my first kid and I'm like, wow, like, man, there's something that I actually love more, you know, than just being able to play the game. And, you know, that's when I knew that it was time to retire. When I told Coach Lombardi that I was going to keep this baby and go through the pregnancy, she was super supportive. And the first thing she said to me was, I'm so proud of you. Being a mom is the best thing in the world. And if you want to come back, we have a spot for you no matter what. I remember when Jazz called me and told me that she was expecting. And, you know, as a mother, I was, I was so thrilled for her. I mean, it, to me, that's the best thing in the world. 
toughest part for me personally has been figuring out how to manage not being perfect at all of those things. And someone once told me you have to learn to juggle the plates and get used to some of them crashing. Patty Gasso has been another inspiration for me as um, a mom that's raised a family and been super successful in the softball world. There was a time where I had to talk to JT and he's a young kid and like, what do you, I think I, I need to stop coaching because I'm not there with you guys. And he's like, you did not coach. Number one, we would not get to get on the sidelines of OU football anymore. And number two, you wouldn't be the same mom that we know you as. And softball is what you love to do. So I just tried to keep them a part of it. I used to take them recruiting. Even when they were babies, people would look at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, trying to do it all. I think it's changed everything about what I do, honestly. I think it makes me see the players differently. I think it makes me just, you know, understand relationships better. I think um, it's just given me more of a purpose and what an awesome opportunity to be a mom in this sport and just have all these women that are role models for my daughters. It's a lot of sacrifices of time, but when you think about the big picture, it's awesome that they have this opportunity to be a part of this program. Ugh, moms are the best, aren't they? Like, I, I think about my relationship with my mom, and uh, I was really lucky to have a mom that played softball and knew the sport and uh, led the way for me and path, and she made a difference for softball in uh, Oregon in the city of Eugene. Her and my grandpa, grandpa really made sure that uh, this sport was elevated in our community. And because of that, she was able to go play collegiately. She went across the country, went to Louisiana, tried something completely new coming from Oregon. Uh, she was a pitcher and uh, obviously had a fantastic time. I like those cool shades. And, you know, because of her experience, she was able to support me and be there for me when I won a national championship. And she inspired me to go follow my dreams because she followed hers. And uh, I think moms are just so powerful in our lives because they can be those role models. They can be that loving, constant support, and they can just really give you all of the inspiration that you need to succeed. And that's how my mom was. And I'm so grateful. And uh, now I'm a mom. I have an eight month old little girl and, um, it's the most special feeling in the world to know that I could potentially inspire my kid to do something awesome. Just like my mom did for me. And Jenny, you're a mom. So I know you have all the feels about this too. All the feels is right. It's tissue time because when it comes to being a mom, I think emotions are the thing that become the roller coaster. I cry at everything. I cried at everything before, but now everything just is so much more intense because I see the game in such a different way. I'm able to watch the game of softball through the eyes of my daughter who plays collegiately. And just this last weekend, I was able to go in to her college campus and celebrate her senior day and here comes the quivery, quivery voice. It's, it's so yeah. hard to give them wings, but then also allow them to fly. They truly are the thing that makes it worth it. And I wouldn't trade any of the moments that I had coaching her in high school, coaching her in travel ball. And a lot of people question, why do parents pay so much money for their girls to play travel ball? And I will tell you right now, you're not paying for the travel ball. You're paying for the one-on-one -on -one time that you get with your little girl because she does grow up and she does get older and she grows up to be an amazing blessing. So let's turn this around. And after we get back from break, <laughs> we're going to have to do a little shag and stats right after this. 
All right, I think it's time to shag some stats and I'll go first. I'm going to the ACC and Virginia Tech with their head coach, Pete Demore, and how he has transformed this program to be in the ACC and now winning the ACC. They're the regular season champs. Look at their record the first two before the, the last two years before he got there, losing records. He doubled their wins and now they are Virginia, Virginia Tech or the ACC champs. Who's next? I got you, Amanda. So BYU has won 12 consecutive conference championships, and that gave them the automatic qualifying bid to get to the postseason. They have won every conference championship in the WCC since that sport was introduced six years ago. But LMU, Loyola Marymount University, beat them two out of three times in the regular season. They do not have a conference tournament. So it looks like LMU may be able to upset the regular at the top, will BYU be able to make it with an RPI of 49? They may be first team out at, on the bubble. Can't wait to see the answer to that question, Jenny. Um, for my shag and sat, I'm calling the Hogs. Arkansas clinched at least a part of the SEC championship in the regular season, but it's because of their offense. Look at the numbers. They are batting 346, and right now that would be second all-time in the SEC if that batting average holds uh, following Tennessee batting 348 in 2011. Uh, Michelle, I think you want to shout out the Razorbacks too. Exactly, bro. I'm going back to the Razorbacks. In fact, it will be 14 years. They have the opportunity to do something that nobody has done since 2007 in Tennessee, and that is win the outright regular season in the SEC by themselves. It's only been Alabama or Florida over the last 14 years. So Arkansas, opportunity this weekend to beat Texas A&M to have that sole championship themselves. BMO, what you got? Well, Smitty, I don't want to feel the wrath of uh, Utah's beloved Holly Rowe. She said, we better talk about the Utes and shagging stats. So I'm going to do just that. Congratulations to Utah. Run ruling UCLA on Sunday. They had three different players, Leah Bullade, Alessa Bonstrom, and Kendall Lundberg hit home runs. It's the first run rule loss for the Bruins in five years. Utah, by the way, still flirting with 500. They got to stay above it in order to get into the NCAA tournament. On to our news and notes as we wrap things up. Congratulations to Florida head coach Tim Walton for win number 1,000. And if you haven't seen it already, here is the catch. Katie Kistler, unbelievable catch in the outfield for the Florida Gators. With the glove and with the bare hand, bringing it back into the yard for the grab. Outstanding work at Tiger Park down at LSU. Congratulations to Georgina Corrick, USF. 30 wins. She had a perfect game overnight. Congratulations to the Boston University Terriers. The win streak is now at 26 wins in a row. And Texas Tech makes a new hire. Brooke Reed will now take over that program. Don't forget, we've got a big weekend coming up. Bedlam starts with our Thursday night throwdown. Primetime on ESPN coming your way at 8 Eastern. Also, big series UCLA, ASU, and Wichita State hosting UCF. Our championship Saturday is May 14th, the selection show, primetime May 15th. We'll see you on the road to the Women's College World Series.